This is Concepts, where two pretentious sirs quibble over ideas that explain today's world. Phil Shea and Steve Rose. My name is Phil Shea. I am writing for makeaskilljack.com, and you can find more writing by me at hittingajack.com. Steve? My name is Steve Rose, and you can find more about me at steverosephd.com, where I write about mental health and addiction. Welcome to Pros and Concepts. Welcome. <laughs> I was thinking about doing a different cadence for that, but then I end up just going to do a late night DJ, bad late night DJ. So, I like it. Steve, yeah. what's been going on these days? Whew, I don't know. You've been missing, apparently. You're always traveling around, going somewhere. Uh, yeah, I, I got to get to the big city, big old Toronto. But <laughs> <laughs> the way we say it, no, don't, don't say that, that last T. Although it comes and goes. So I've been going back and forth there, finding places to live. Although they say not to say where you're living on the air, because then people are more likely to find you. Eh, we're not big enough for it to matter just yet, and I'll probably have moved on by the time we do. A real vagrant of sorts, yes. Yeah. Anyway, what are we talking about today, Steve? Well, we're talking about Boots Theory, otherwise known as Poverty Premium. Oh, I didn't realize that that was its alternative title. But yes, the Boots Theory. Yes. The Boots Theory of Socioeconomic Unfairness, apparently, is the full term. Yeah, actually, it's from a Terry Pratchett book, and I downloaded that and listened to it just over the last week, just so I could prepare for this. And it's funny because it's just one small section in it that this quote is taken from, and it's not really a focus of the book, but it was still a good book. He's a very enjoyable writer. But the quote in question, where the name of the series comes from, is, Take boots, for example. He earned $38 a month plus allowances. Really good pair of leather boots cost 50 but an affordable pair of boots, which were sort of okay for a season or two, then leaked like hell when the cardboard gave out cost about $10. Those were the kind of boots Vimes always bought and wore until the soles were so thin that he could tell where he was in Ankh-Morpork on a foggy night by the feel of the cobbles. But the thing was that good boots lasted for years and years. A man who could afford $50 had a pair of boots that would be keeping his feet dry in 10 years time, while the poor man who could only afford cheap boots would have spent $100 on boots in the same time and would still have wet feet. This was Captain Samuel Vimes' boots theory of socioeconomic unfairness. Close quote. Yes. So why would he choose to buy these cheap boots he's too stupid <laughs> he should buy the more expensive boots obviously he should save up he should obviously he should do that but no he's too dumb he couldn't foresee the future and he went with the short term it's like the marshmallow test short-term gain long-term cost <laughs> yeah that's true it's his lack of willpower isn't it yeah clearly more than his month's salary for a pair of boots he should have just given up just not worn boots or bought anything that entire month plus like half a month to afford the good boots that's what he should have done yeah. the thing is like okay we're dropping the facetiousness mm. this is exactly the kind of way that the more affluent do think about stuff like they think that the poor too stupid to do this and it's like this is just one thing he's giving as an example which is boots he also has to wear clothes and like have other things that he needs to live his daily life including food and you're like yeah cheap food makes you less healthy over the long run which will cost you more in terms of health care but you're just too stupid to eat well right? right that's why right yeah so this whole concept is used to explain why being poor is very expensive 
and how it's very much unfair <laughs> that being poor is very expensive. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's the Matthew principle, basically. The rich get richer. Right, right. Except for the other side of that. Yeah. And it's just more expensive to be poor, basically. Yeah. So I came across an example elsewhere. I actually asked ChatGPT to give examples just to see what it came up with. I haven't looked at them yet. But one of the classic examples is the task of doing laundry. Wealthy people can afford high-efficiency modern machines and bulk-purchased good-quality laundry detergent. But if you're poor, you have to go to the laundromat and you have to like, spend your time there. You can't really get into any big activity depending on what your work is, I guess. It's not exactly the safest place to be doing work. You have to pay for the machines at uh, like jacked-up rate, and you have to pay probably for smaller purchases because you want to lug this back and forth. And so you're paying not only the extra cost on all these things because each of those things costs more per use every time you use it, but it also costs you in time. So like I think you mentioned off-air something about, or maybe you didn't. It was just people are keep saying like pay with time or pay with money, and it's often you have to pay with both. It's time and money. Yes, I actually did say that. Oh, yes. well, good for you. Do you have anything to add to this? I said it's expensive to be poor, not just in money, but in time. Oh, good. You found it. Yes. Oh, for some reason, I thought you were making it either or because I was wrestling with ghosts, something I mentioned like in like episode three or four, something I've heard so many times before. So I guess I just misread you. Yes. So yeah, it's expensive because if you can afford the big, fancy, high efficiency machine up front, thousands of dollars or whatever you're paying for it, then in the long run, you're saving money. Buying a house is cheaper per month when you get into the mortgage and everything. Yeah, exactly. But it's not just that in the long term, you know, having this, for example, espresso machine, you know, thousand dollars up front, but hey, it's it's only like 40 cents a day for a coffee. I can't afford not to have this espresso machine, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Good, good callback to that. Cause like, yeah. I think we did mention that on air before where there was that article that the guy wrote, he literally couldn't afford not to buy an espresso machine. It's like, <laughs> oh my God. Or I remember another thing I saw on TV that's sort of related to that time was a guy being like, this is the time of free money. And we're like, why didn't you go and get some of that free money? And he's talking about low interest rates at the time. And it's like, but you have to have money to get the collateral or whatever, like to get the banks to even talk to you to give you these low interest rates. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, oh yeah, stupid poor people, including myself. I'm not, I'm not othering the poor people. <laughs> no, no, stupid no. poor people can't get a mortgage from the bank, idiots. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. We had a little debate about the espresso machine about a month ago where I was actually tallying up the cost of my daily coffee. Wait, who a debate with who? Me? Yeah. I was doing the math. And my coffee is about 40 cents a day. Oh, so that was an actual number that you weren't just pulling that out of there. <laughs> no, I actually like bought it and I calculated it. And that's not just like a small coffee. That's like two double espresso lattes. The amount of coffee you'd be drinking in the entire day, you mean? Like your normal amount? My normal it's 40 daily cents. consumption would be two double espressos. And so it'd be 40 cents. Yes. Oh, you've really cut back on your coffee consumption. <laughs> two double espressos? You used to drink a liter of coffee a day or more. Didn't you like think you were cutting back when you were drinking just a liter? <laughs> no, a liter of French press is equivalent in caffeine to two double espressos, roughly. Oh, I didn't realize. I don't know the numbers to that. I just know the experience that I'm not withdrawing. Oh, well, then I, okay, can sure. I can substitute each and it's I don't get a withdrawal. So I was saying I can't afford not to have this machine. Look at those people going to Tim Hortons every day and buying their... Shitty coffee. <laughs> couple dollars. Like, it uh, I'd be broke if I was doing coffee that way. I mean, yeah, it is more expensive, but people do often make it at home and take like a travel mug, especially these days. But there are some people that are just, they say they can't start the day with other Timmy's, which is garbage coffee. Like it's, it's terrible. It's super thin and flavorless, but it's available, I guess. It's just more Canadian pride at this point. I think a lot of the time have it. Right. But the idea is here. So yeah, if you can afford the upfront cost of an espresso machine, then you're going to save in the long term. But 
if that upfront cost is going to take your whole paycheck and you're living paycheck to paycheck, you're going to have to like not eat for a week, you know, <laughs> like it's not feasible. And so not only that, but the time, I guess, because your cost and money goes down in the long term if you can put up down payment for a house, for example. But the time involved in not owning stuff is huge, particularly with the laundry. I haven't had to do this, but it sounds pretty terrible. The idea that you have to like take all of your stuff in like baskets or some kind of bag into public, a public, a public space. This is also why I don't do laundry very often at all because I'm used to stretching it a bit. I mean, if it's really convenient, I would do it more clearly, but just because I would have to travel across town, I'd have to take a cab to get there. And it's like, they carry this whole big, I got actually a really awesome kind of, it was in Brazil. I got this really huge and very durable plastic bag that I could put all my laundry in. And I would cart that in a cab across town. And then I'd have to be there. The laundry machines actually there were basically the same price as Toronto, which was, I think like 16 bucks in total to do all my laundry for the week. And then the cab ride, which was only like a couple bucks. How long did that take just to do your laundry? An hour and a half, two hours. Okay. But I guess you're outside of the house. So you're kind of sitting there waiting and like... I mean, it depends on how much you trust the area because then you can walk away and go somewhere else, go to a cafe and do work, I guess, from your laptop if you're able to do that. Yeah. Otherwise, if you can't do that, then you're basically just going to have to waste time. But I guess sometimes laundromats will have Wi-Fi, but not often like places to actually work because most of the space is obviously occupied by machines. So it's hard to work in them. And if you don't trust the area, like somebody might take your clothes, which I mean, you have to be a pretty bad area for that. But in Fight Club, they do that in the movie. He's following Marla and they're splitting up the different groups that they're going to go to. She's stealing jeans from laundromat machines and going across the street to a pawn shop and pawns them <laughs> in the middle of that conversation. So it's a thing that I guess it has representation, although it's never happened to me. Right. So we talked about the cost, the actual monetary cost of not having a bunch of money, the time cost of not having a bunch of money. But there's actual research on other costs, and that's cognitive costs, like the costs actually on your brain like not just emotional in terms of stress but in terms of your ability to think about other things is interfered with by having to worry about day-to-day -day yeah together. i mean obviously having too many things juggling in your head and not being able to focus on any given one is going to make it so your cognitive load is higher right I think that actually is the term right so you're going to constantly have less resources to focus on these other things and go on with the study that i know you're <laughs> supposed to introduce <laughs> I still think it's kind of patronizing, even after we've discussed it, but go ahead. Yeah, there's an actual study on this. It's called Poverty Impedes Cognitive Function. And where was it published? Science. Oh, oh it's a pretty good journal. Yeah, Science. Okay, August 2013. And it's actually linked to on Harvard. I mean, I should say one of the best journals, I believe. I think it's Science and Nature, the two most famous and best ones, if I remember correctly. Yeah, so apparently, yeah, it's published in Science. So the findings, what they did was they studied farmers. And they did a Stroop test to measure their cognitive performance. So Stroop test, to clarify, do you want me to do it or you do yeah, it? Yeah, you can do it. Stroop test is they have the word written down like B-L-U-E, but the letters are written in red. And so you have to say the color of the text, but not what the word says. So the word says blue, but you have to say red. Personally, I mean, my interpretation of that test is that it's kind of like your ability to suppress the one drive. So it's kind of like the marshmallow test in that it requires willpower to delay for a second and not say that. But I think it's also measured in time, right? So that's how they're measuring cognitive load. If it takes you longer to say the correct thing, then it took you longer to process that. And if they measure that, I think they have measured that under different conditions where like you have too many things to remember, even just one thing probably slows you down enough. Anyway, that's a strip test. Yeah. So they gave this test to this group of farmers before the harvest and after their harvest. They did it before the harvest because that represents the time where they have the least money, so most poverty, and after the harvest where there's a large influx of funds, so the least poverty in their situation. 
situation. And it shows that the post-harvest Stroop tests were much better. So they were actually functioning much better in terms of their cognitive capacities versus at that time when they were in relative poverty in comparison. There was another experiment they did where they induced thoughts about finances, pretty much reminding somebody about their finances, I guess. Yeah, it's like the stereotype threat. It's the same kind of experiment, but it's something else. Yeah, so they induced thoughts about finances and found that this reduces cognitive performance among poor but not in well-off participants. Wait, say that again? In poor but not well-off? Isn't that the same thing? So that the poor participants, when they induced a thought about, oh, those bills coming up, you're going to have to pay them soon. And then they had them do the cognitive tests. <laughs> it might actually be something more subtle because like, okay, so I mentioned stereotype threat. It's basically the same kind of priming. This is all priming. We should actually probably do an episode on that at some point. But stereotype threat, they would say, for instance, women, the stereotype is them being bad at math. And so then for a math test, they would just have them come in, different groups, men and women, do the math test without any priming to remember their gender and see how they did. And then they would have a second group come in of men and women and they would have them fill out like name, gender, age, but the gender would be in there kind of nested possibly to make it a little less obvious, but remind them in some form, hey, remember this stereotype that's associated with that group that you were part of? Here's this thing. So I think for that, they could just ask them, what's your financial situation like? They don't have to say, <laughs> just remind them of, make them think thoughts about money or like there's a situation where this person has his money and he has to do this thing. Like even just this, like a little story could do it. I actually found the methods and it was quite simple. They said, induce richer and poorer participants to think about everyday financial demands. So it's just, they said, just think about your everyday financial demands. Or maybe more... <laughs> Colloquially, name some things that you have to buy on a daily basis. <laughs> there we go. That's a nice way to put it. So, okay, they, they did that. And then and then they performed worse when the people were either not well off or poor, you said. You mentioned not well off. So just like we're talking like average people then. The numbers are not here in terms of exactly what their incomes were. No, but I mean, if we're saying not well off, that sounds like average. So like, well, I don't know, fine, 50% or below. Who I knows? Guess they use the words richer and poorer. So I don't know what the actual incomes of these participants are. All right. Well, no need to spend speculate further than the research then because it's probably not a one-to-one -one ratio but basically yeah okay so this particular example obviously that makes them start worrying about the stressors in their life because when you're poor like they say money doesn't buy happiness but like you need to at least get rid of stressors and basic needs met without having to constantly worry that you're going deeper into debt. Like I've read about stories, like even today, I read about a story of a person online, which maybe this is availability bias, like maybe it's not this common, but in the US, it seems like it's relatively common for people to be paying, I think they said they're paying like 500 US a month almost for years and they have only paid off like $900 of their debt and they're still like $60,000 in debt or something. How is that possible? Because they're just paying off the interest. They're not paying off the principal, like barely any of the principal. So because the interest rate and the amount out, it's just too much to keep up on. And it's ridiculous. Like, it's just absurd. I want to talk about like that sort of thing. Like if you're a rich person going to school, then you just pay it all off. It's done. There's no interest. But then if you're an average person or below, then you're going to end up in this situation or no education at all. Or in the very worst possible combination, you would go not finish your degree, get saddled with debt, and then not also get the earning power. We hear a lot about that these days. It happens quite a bit. Does it? I have some friends that have that happen, but I don't know <laughs> what you mean these days. Well, people going to university, getting saddled with debt not being able to find a job yeah yeah okay yeah like that i thought you meant like the specifically the ones that don't finish and don't don't get a degree oh no, no. okay yeah, yeah 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 that's a thing like i mean myself included like there's a number of things we could talk about in terms of why that may be there's that guy i sent you that was the hr guy talking about one practice they do is called like pipelining so they just put a posting up they get a bunch of people to apply to it and they have no intention of hiring right now or anytime soon but when they do want to hire in six months 12 months then they have this whole list of qualified candidates that they're 
they're like, okay, now let's go through these people. We got this ready, which it seems like a waste of resources to me. Cause it's like, do you really think those leads are going to be all that valuable in six months? Like you think you're that good that like you're going to offer this amazing deal that they're going to just come from wherever they are. They must've moved on by that point, or at least you would hope. if they didn't, then you're pulling from a pool of people who are less employable for some reason. Yeah, it's not. Or unless like they just keep getting sucked into these things. Or there's other things like the HR professionals apparently are keeping job postings up because management wants to make it seem like they are an expanding company or they have too much work for their current staff. And so instead of actually hiring help, they're just placating them and saying, hey, we're going to hire soon. See, we got a posting up, but they have no intention of hiring. There's a bunch of things that have been from anonymous interviews with HR people. This is another major cost of being... It's a job, man. It's a job applying for jobs. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to use the word poor necessarily, but... Low trembling. socioeconomic status. Low socio- in, the, in the psychology terms, poor is low SES. That's how we would talk or about it there. Unemployed is another variant of this because you could be poor and employed. Yeah. Underemployed, underemployed, I guess you could say. Let's or say underpaid. Yeah, you're underemployed or unemployed version of broke. This is a major time and mental cost is applying to jobs. It's a part-time job just to apply to jobs. It's a full-time job. It's a lot of work to do it and you don't get much back, honestly. It's not just me I found out because like I, I thought it was like uniquely my problem somehow, but it's, it seems like I'm talking to other people who are even more qualified and in the startup sector with tech and stuff, they've done a lot of interesting jobs and like have varied experience and they should be hireable. I had basically the same experience of me applying to tons of stuff and basically hearing either nothing or rejection. Yeah, you've been telling me your experience of applying to various jobs, particularly one, that's taking a long time because it's government related, but it's like all these hoops you have to jump through. And like many of them in the past, you would like be doing free work for them. They say it's an interview, but you're doing like pretty much unpaid work. Oh yeah. And I had one that actually maybe trained myself. We have laws here that you're supposed to get paid for training. And I do like a 50 page, really meticulous self-training through a 50 page PDF that I had to read myself and then do the job for them. And then I got that, but then they didn't contact me for six months and I forgot it and I didn't want to retrain myself. And so that just kind of fell through because I'm not not doing more free work for you, no. So yeah, that was for minute keeping, a minute keeping job. You had to train yourself in the application before they even offered you the job. Uh-huh. Wow. Or anything language-based is often like paid nothing here. Because I remember there was a company in our hometown, well, my hometown, near your hometown, that were trying to hire me for like full-time doing like the worst editing that like nobody would do or like the highest amount of work. And they were only going to pay like, it was basically minimum wage with no benefits. And I would have to be physically in my hometown, which I don't want to be. And so it was terrible. And that's the thing. Or alternatively, I think I've got a lot of jobs where they're like, be your own boss. Basically, almost MLM. It's more like performance-based only without a base salary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so pretty much you've been on this treadmill of job applications for years, if not longer. That's come and gone. I've worked for myself for many of those years as a result. Since coming back to North America, whenever I'm in North America, it's basically like this story. When I was in Asia and China, it was like money was thrown at you. My skills are actually in high demand and they really are willing to pay for it. Right, right. So that's something. So we're talking about boots theory. We're way off track. You're basically interviewing me here. Are we not? No, it's completely related. Tie it back then. How being poor is expensive, not just monetarily. Oh, because you're focusing on the amount of effort I'm doing here for these jobs and I'm not getting paid for them? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's like leisure time slash the time I could be spending on my business because I didn't have a job. Or money. You could be (laughs) like just doing other things that would make you money, I guess. I mean, yeah, I guess people point out like you can apply to in-person jobs, but it's like as a last resort, that's not going anywhere 
where I don't really want to be like a waiter again or a bartender. It's like, those are decent money, but it's not something I want to be doing as a career. It's like, okay, that's a making ends meet. Those kind of jobs, maybe you could get them, I guess, because I you hear, but like, there's also a bunch of restaurants where the demand has gone down because people, well, for one, times are tight for a lot of people. And so restaurants are having less people go out because people have, from the pandemic, not been able to go out and had to adapt to that. And they just never came back because they can't afford it, probably. It's like, okay, I sent you that, that meme today of the conservative subreddit trying to pretend that like having a family is like a rebellious act. No, it's not. It's not like progressive people are like, I don't want to have kids. Let's not get married. It's more like I can't afford to do any of these things because I haven't been able to settle in any meaningful way. And so it's not the right time for that. And we're getting too old now. That's a very good point. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah. It's not like I'm a rebel. I'm not having kids. No, it's like their very policies, their neoliberal policies have basically raised the middle class and pushed us all downward. And then they're like, why aren't you all getting married? Why are you killing the diamond industry? Why? Like all this typical millennial kind of intergenerational fighting. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, it's because it's it's hard to do anything differently. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you don't have options. And that's that's what we're talking about, why I called that article kind of patronizing. It's because it's like, yeah, you got a lot going on. And it's hard to focus on the things that are right in front of you sometimes because you're doing mental calculus of like, where can I find the money to like pay for this bill so that we don't run out of this, which will cost me more because I'm going to be an overdraft because being poor at the bank apparently is punished by being even further poor, being even poorer, whatever. Uh, and that study you're referring to as being patronizing is the one in science we mentioned before. You thought it was patronizing because if you put it in simple words, it's like saying poor just makes you stupid. If you want to put in more fancy words, it's saying these data provide a previously unexamined perspective and help explain a spectrum of behaviors among the poor. <laughs> or you could just say like the stressors of being poor suppress the ability to think. Or as they actually say here, that poverty related concerns consume mental resources, leaving less for other tasks. Oh yeah. Basically the thing I was saying in more verbose ways earlier. Yeah. It's like uh, you're juggling so much in your mind that you just it's like Stroop test. Who cares? <laughs> I gotta pay my bills. Well, that, or like, do you have the time to do this? Because even showing up for this study, like, unless it's paid enough. Okay, this is the other thing with somebody saying, like, getting a haircut. Okay, if you can afford a car, you can go there and it's 10 minutes away. You take that drive, you get there, you get your haircut, you pay for it, you tip, you leave, you drive back 10 minutes. So the costs are mainly just the haircut and the tip, right? But then if you don't have a car, and especially in cities where it's not walkable, which means like including public transit, because that's another thing, because people are saying you either pay in time or you pay with money. Like either you cab or you own a car or you have to pay with time through the subway or whatever, which you're also paying with money there because it costs money, probably more for the amount of distance you're traveling by using that a lot of the time, at least in Canadian cities that I've lived in, than it would cost to drive. And it will take you like three hours to do the same goddamn thing. So in terms of just like the transit, because like the bus is only coming every half hour to an hour, depending on which city you're in or what time, like if it's peak time or not. And it's ridiculous because the people that are designing these systems typically are people who don't use these systems. Yes. Forget haircuts. Just getting your groceries is so challenging if you're using public transit. The car, this heavy thing? I've never gotten groceries on public transit, but I lived in a space where I didn't have a car, so I would bike. And it's not the same because there's more freedom in biking, but you can only carry two bags of relatively similar Or you get a basket on your bike. Right. There was a basket in the front, which you put something lighter, and then two bags on the side and relatively similar weights. And you, you know, but you have to make trips like more frequently, which takes more time, and you can't buy in the bulk, so you're not getting the bulk sales. You're, you're, you're just 
getting lesser amounts. You're not getting like the Costco, like giant wholesalers because they're on the outside of town, which takes too long. You And you get the giant toilet paper. You try to show up on a bus with all that. It's not going to work. Also, note that you're talking about going to a grocery store because this is why corner stores exist. And corner stores usually have the staples that you need because you don't have time, which costs you more money because they're, they're a lot more expensive. Yes. They're way more expensive, but you don't have the time to go and you don't have the money to pay for a ride there. So you have to pay the extra premium there. Yeah. I never even considered the idea oh, of going it's, to a it's corner store. Oh, it's super multi-leveled because like I know you haven't experienced a lot of these things and I definitely have. No, I, I've never thought like I, I'm going to go drive into town to go to a corner store. I'm like, no, I'm going to go to the grocery store. <laughs> Like, yeah, no, like people, you have like it's right there, or you can like because like I don't know, this maybe the streetcar if you have access to that in Toronto, it may be there or maybe not be running anymore. I guess, but like, in Toronto, it's one of the better cities, and it's still not good. And Waterloo, I know Ontario, they had it was pretty expensive if you weren't a student and if you were trying to get there. I think at the peak times, it was like once every half hour. I don't know about now. I know they have a light rail that was put into there, but yeah, it was. Pretty bad. They also, this was before this was when I was in university, they didn't have like the smartphone app where you could track when the next bus would come for like in Toronto, you can use apps. You can look up the nearby stops for the buses and it'll tell you approximately five minutes. It might be like a minute early, but usually pretty on for that. So you can time it well, because if you missed it back in my university days, it'd be 30 to 60 minutes and you're probably going to be late for whatever it is you're going to. Oh, so annoying. Yeah, because then you're like, oh, well, I guess I'm walking because <laughs> I don't like it's going to be faster than having to take the bus in the rain. Yeah, yeah. So annoying. And so that's another cost there. Well, yeah. There's a lot of like transportation is a big thing. That's why walkable cities is like it's so stupid that the right is pushing against that because right wing America is actually like in decline, I think. And that's why they're fighting so much because we're talking about even like maybe Canada, like the smaller cities don't have as much population and they don't have that many votes. That means the more free market it is, the less they'll be catered to because you're not going to have an airline going there. Why would they? There's nobody there. If you have a government subsidy bringing them there, which is requires a government intervention, then you might actually get like a connection. But I was reading about I don't remember which city it was or even which state. I think it was a Florida state, a small town that used to be a place that would have connecting flights. They stopped all connections because there's not enough people there and the government wasn't subsidizing it anymore. So they're like, oh, if they want, <laughs> I think I said this to you, if they want small right-wing America to thrive, they got to invest in it. And it's like, you think they give a shit about you? They don't care. Like They want money. So they're going to cater to where everyone is, which is cities, which tend to be left. Right. Right. Yeah, there's some overlap with our concept of third places. Do tie that in. Because if we were to have more walkable, I guess the 15-minute city is the idea, then, you know, you wouldn't need a car to, you know, go all the way out to the mega store. You could just go to the corner store. And ideally, there'd be enough of these that it would be reasonable prices rather than like the situation right now, how it's a premium. Right. No, that's that's exactly what my point was basically for right-wing America. If you want more community, you have more of these sorts of things where you keep money in the community. It's more walkable. But that means like... It's not an open air prison Stalinist thing that you like you can leave your 15 minute bubble. It's that you are not required to to have your basic necessities and essentials met. Right. Yeah. And especially with telecommuting now, like that could be anywhere in the city. Now like, you don't have to worry about commuting. I think that should be codified to some degree of the ability to do that. But they're so frightened right now of like the downtown becoming derelict and a lot of the money is tied up there by a lot of rich people. So those people are really pushing to bring people back because they don't want to have that investment go to waste, which maybe as a society, we've moved past having to have like one centralized business downtown town and we can disperse it a bit more yeah was it industry 4.0 is i was reading about in one of the articles i was editing is the fourth industrial revolution is what they're calling this currently oh 
Interesting. 4.0, rather. Not familiar. That's another one I was actually thinking we could talk about, too, because it's talking about Internet of Things and remote work and augmented reality, big data, autonomous robotics and stuff like that, cloud computing, cybersecurity, system integration. It's a lot of stuff that it's kind of nascent, but like as it spreads, it's going to be huge and it's going to disrupt a lot. So, mm-hmm. yeah. This is a pretty light concept, honestly, in terms of like the amount of content we have to talk about. Oh, we can look at the uh, chat GPT and see what they came up with. Okay, so one, clothing and footwear. As for the original example, I mean, it's pretty obvious because if you buy good clothing, it'll last you longer. I always question this, especially when it comes to some premium brands. I guess the reputation will spread, especially with the internet these days. But I always wonder if they actually just have like being known for premium and then they actually just continue to cheapen their quality or their materials because like that's that's a thing that happens, especially with like beers. I know that's a thing like Anheuser-Busch, anything they buy, that's exactly what they do but allegedly i'm just gonna throw it in there just yeah allegedly i've read articles about how they do that with like heineken i think was one example of it was originally known for quite high quality now it's like i don't regard it any different from like bud or bud light or any cores any it was basically all the same thing eventually for clothing would you have any comments on that i know you yeah i think you have basically almost like a capsule wardrobe don't you what's a capsule wardrobe basically you have all the basics and you can mix and match as much as you need it's quality it'll last i don't know if yours is minimalist I think that's part of it. But the idea is that I have fewer high quality items that I don't need to buy as often, kind of like those good quality boots in the beginning. Yeah, basically. A capsule wardrobe is a small collection of clothing that can be put together in different ways and includes everything you would normally need to wear. So it's just kind of more minimalist and high quality so you can keep wearing them repeatedly and it won't wear out quickly. Yeah, I like that idea. So do you follow that? Because I know you said you don't really buy clothes that much. No. I get a lot of t-shirts, but for some reason, even if you get the high quality ones, they just, they don't last. Cotton t-shirts, they don't. It's just cotton. I don't know. I feel like just t-shirts or whatever, those don't really matter that much. I know you have YouTube premium, but YouTube these days has been pushing a lot of t-shirts to the male demographic, it seems. Yeah, there's a ton of those right now. Yep. Two, technology. Oh, yeah. One person I watched on YouTube, this is basically the only article they had on YouTube. She was talking about how she bought a laptop. They don't last that long, but they're like like $300 for YouTube. It's not a cheap expense, but it's a cheap laptop. For a laptop? Well, just $300 just has like a, a random thing you're buying that you have to have because like quality laptop is going to be probably closer to 1000 Right. $300 is, yeah, low end. Yeah. And I think you can get some for like 150 but you're going to probably keep burning through them. And you're going to be sacrificing your processing speed. And that's another cost. All the capabilities. I mean, because like, Processing is not a huge deal if you're doing word processing, but it might have like a cheaper Wi-Fi capability that would limit the speed at which internet could go at. Yeah, and you're like dealing with the glitching and like getting frustrated and like trying to work. Cheaper web camera, all those things can probably affect your job. Right, right. Third is housing. I mean, I'm currently experiencing that. I'm trying to rent a place in Toronto and it's like I'm having to consider roommates again. And it's just like, God damn it. I would just like to have a one bedroom or even a decently sized bachelor. That's not a basement, please. Those are my requirements. <laughs> at this point and it's just difficult because like one place I found that was decently priced and I was like is this the dangerous area like <laughs> I had to question because how are they not charging more for the, what's going on like not look too hard and just hope that it works out <laughs> yeah you're gonna move there no it seems like somebody else is probably gonna get it but there's a number of us probably competing for it at that price I can imagine right and I have not had my current job long enough for it to be reliable enough that's the thing because like right now they're okay you know what they ask for too they need to have this is light I think because usually I think they ask for three but this guy asked for two months pay stubs to see that i have a job and a letter of employment to prove that i have a job so how much i'm making they know and whether i have a job they now know and my credit check that's normal it shouldn't be we're renting a fucking apartment (laughs) that's kind 
of what you have to show if you're applying for a mortgage, but now it's become like pervasive. But that's what I'm saying. Exactly. It's even more. You feel like a second class, basically. Like we can't trust you to do this. So like you have to give us more documentation, which hurts your credit score to check it. Not much, but still every time you have to do that. This is the same process as applying to a mortgage. Yeah, that warrants it. This is like, okay. I mean, I guess in Canada, you would argue maybe that like it's too difficult to get rid of bad tenants, which maybe I still think siding with them. I mean, they could probably regulate this even. You can't ask for credit checks, but you can't ask for like these other things. I was actually partially worried that they were going to identity thieve me because I was like, oh, did I give them any information I shouldn't have given them? Oh, maybe I shouldn't have done that. That's concerning, actually. It is. It's a random person that I'm giving all this information to. I could see it being more legitimate for giving it to a bank. But establish like an institution that there's regulations to do with. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Not just a guy on Kijiji. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Here's my whole credit history. Kijiji, by the way, is kind of like Craigslist, but like Canadian. Okay. They don't have in the U.S.? It's only Kijiji.ca. Oh. K-I-J-I-J-I. And in Australia, it was called Gumtree. Hmm. <laughs> then they have transportation. We've kind of talked about in the fair depth. Education, we kind of talked about, especially the U.S. model. Different models are different. Like Brazil, it's free. Yeah, they get free education there. Better healthcare than Canada, actually, at this point, for free. And then in Australia, they had an interesting model for education there that I'd like to talk about, if you don't mind. Sure. There it is. You go to school and you don't pay anything for your education whatsoever until you go over a certain income threshold and then they start taking it off the top until it's paid back, at which point you just start earning your full income. I think it's like 50K is the amount that you have to start making. So once you break 50K, then you start having a little bit extra tax skimmed off to pay off. That's siphoned off to your education. And then once that's paid off, you no longer have to pay anything, but only after you earn a certain amount. Sounds nice. Yeah. I can see people arguing that maybe people would go and get like useless degrees and they're not going to get employed for it. And it doesn't really cost anybody but the university a little bit. And at the university, I do think universities should be publicly funded, but like those things should still be studied at some point so maybe they'll find something to do with it i don't know hmm. i was thinking of another cost in healthcare, particularly in the u.s that's actually was the very next one good job yeah I guess, in yeah and in canada it's, it's you see it in dentistry quite a bit and probably optics yeah because we don't have coverage for because teeth and eyes are not essential things for humans to have especially as productive units in the economy <laughs> so we don't need them though there is a new bill by the ndp and the liberals that is funding dental care the ndp is our more left party and the liberals are our more like centrist ish party kind of more left these days but yeah more centrist than the ndp and they have a program where low-income individuals can't actually apply for this dental care funding you know it's considered low-income there I think I actually might be considered. You might. Maybe not with this job now that I have an actual full-time North American job. Yeah. So that's the thing because I've even talked to people in my line of work where it's like, well, I I couldn't afford to get the dental surgery to deal with the actual tooth problem. And then it just caused an infection and now they'll pay for my antibiotics. So I'm just taking antibiotics or something that could have been prevented. Yeah. It's kicking the can, but the can becomes like a giant bulldog down the road. It's not just the can anymore because like it continually happens. They're like, it's a kicking hand that you're still running towards. It's so stupid. Yeah, it's dumb. We will have to pay for these things eventually. I think dental stuff can kill you. It's one of those studies that I wasn't sure which way the direction went, but I remember reading about how dental health has a strong correlation with your overall health. And it's hard to tell if it's take care of your mouth because then that's where everything comes through. So if it's really bad, then the bacteria and stuff will come into your body. That's one way of interpreting it. Or the other one is you don't take care of yourself and eventually it also affects your mouth, which is a part of your body. Yeah, I've seen some research suggesting the correlation between dental plaque and Alzheimer's, which is like, plaque in your brain yeah type 3 diabetes they're conjecturing 
it does seem very much related to, I think it was hyperinsulinemia. If you have that, your body is able to use insulin to get the insulin out of your bloodstream. But I think that insulin that's released doesn't pass the blood-brain barrier, which means that the higher levels of insulin, which basically wears on your arteries and veins, and it stays elevated in your brain because that insulin doesn't reach there. And so that causes damage for even longer every time you would spike it. Sorry, was it hyperglycemia? Sorry, that's wrong. It's a high blood sugar is what caused that. And like the insulin was what would take it out of your bloodstream. Right. And so if you're kind of living as they say, hand to fist, is it? What? Hand to hand mouth? To mouth? Hand to mouth, sorry. Hand to fist, I think, is an actual like a play on hand to mouth, but I don't remember what it means. But if you're living hand to mouth, meaning like you need to eat now and you can't afford to go get the groceries. The literal one is like hand to mouth is like I give you the money right now and you immediately go to the vendor to get food to eat because otherwise you'll starve to death. Like it's just that immediate. There's no savings or buffer. Yeah. And like let's say you're not having time to I guess, gather the resources and prepare the healthy meals and you take the quick option of maybe a fast food or a vending machine, then that impacts the health, can't engage in, I guess, preventative health care and pay for minor things. So they accumulate and then down the road, the cost compound. So what would have been less expensive to deal with in the beginning is now just major surgeries and et cetera. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Basically it's like cancer. Like if you catch it early, it's not that big of a deal necessarily, but then if you can't do anything about it, then it can be lethal. Well, obviously. So yeah, it's a lot of these things. And that's, I don't know, the argument from like the capitalist types will probably say that by further advancing technology, we can make things that, yes, they'll be only for the rich at first and expensive. They'll eventually be cheap enough that the average person can get it done. So like LASIK would be something like that. Like only the richest of the rich could have considered getting laser eye surgery for their eyes. And now it's like a more mundane thing. But there's still like a, a basement for these things unless it's government subsidized. Like I haven't gotten LASIK because it's been more of an expense than I want to pony up for, which I think right now it's still like 3,000 Canadian, 5,000 Canadian. I think it's more if you have astigmatism. But yeah, it's cheaper, it's available, it's there, but can you still save up the amount that is required to get that thing? Because like a lot of the jobs now, especially the average ones, will avoid making you full-time so they don't have to give you any health insurance or benefits. Oh, and then there's the problem like we were talking about earlier of like underemployment, where you'll have more than one job, more than two of them will be part-time, which means again, no benefits, and you're having to spend most of your time shuffling from one job to another. And you're basically renting an apartment where you're only spending time to crash, like you're not doing anything there. I I remember having three jobs. Nowadays, it's very different. It's very kind of singular focus. But there's been times where I've had three jobs quite frequently. And just the amount of shuffling around. I was working in Michigan, and there was like an hour and a bit drive to get to the university I was teaching at, international border crossing. As an adjunct where you're making a big bank, right? A huge money. Adjunct. Adjunct profs don't make shit, I don't think. Yeah, yeah. Adjunct professors are making like almost nothing. And so I would teach two days a week there. I would be working at two other places. And so you'd have to bring like a change of clothes. You're just shuffling all over the place. I had this big cooler full of food that I would have. I would have like my change of clothes all stacked, like three different sets for different things I was doing. And you're going to the washrooms and and changing your shoes in the stall and everything. It's like, it's just all this like half that you're just kind of not being paid for. So, yeah. Yeah. And just like right now, my job is trying to get us to go back in office. I'm an editor. I keep dancing around. I'm, I'm editing full time now, editing articles that are going to be published to science journals. So I'm at least getting some information that way. But a lot of them are so technical that they're just jargon nonsense to me. But some of it's kind of interesting. But right now I'm being paid like this amount of money and I have to work eight hours. But then they're going to make us go back in office, which means I have to be both in the city where that means now way higher rent. Yeah. 
have to pay a lot more rents to be in the city. And then also I'll have to commit more time too, because that means minimum I'll have to drive if I keep my car at least a half hour to get to and from. So it's an extra hour, nine hours for the same amount of pay as opposed to the eight now. Plus the gas. Plus the gas. And the parking. Well, and yeah, I was going to say like, and then that's not even counting the cost of the insurance or having the car, like maintenance and all the basic costs there. And then it'll probably actually take longer than that because if I take the uh, transit, it'll take like an hour. So it's just like, great, the same job, but now I make way less money. Awesome. What a great deal. This is definitely going to help my morale because I get to see my coworkers. That's going to really put a, a smile on my face when I have to get up an hour earlier every day. Right. If you didn't like the job already, you definitely won't in the future. <laughs> I mean, the job itself is fine enough, but it's just like, God, really? Yeah, that definitely will kill any motivation. I mean, sure, maybe like you'll have like an office romance. Like this. that's the best case scenario. So like make it like, so you're actually interested in going to work. Like I don't understand. Right. Outside that, it's like, oh God, please. Like I can be friends with them online. It's fine. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> Because <laughs> it's like a purely independent job, right? Like I don't need anybody else other than be like, hey, in this particular very minute circumstance, would I do this or this? That's basically it. And that's a text. Oh, imagine all the water cooler gossip you're missing out on right now. God, that is something I really don't want. Like, there's that one joke meme where they're like, the people that are really fighting to go back into office are the reason that the rest of us don't want to go back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's a good enough place to stop. So anyway, basically our thing is the Matthew principle for economics. It's more expensive to be poor. That's the takeaway from this one. Yes, that's the takeaway. It is not a lucrative endeavor. No, no, it's definitely not. Unless you're a beggar. Apparently they make some decent money if you're in a very high population area. <laughs> Seriously, I got told by the people I worked with. I don't doubt it. They were telling me, they would rub it in my face being like, we make more than you by begging on the street over there than you are at this job, I bet. And I was like, good for you. <laughs> like, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> 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 but I mean, then the police will clear you off and then you have to have like a certain vibe or else people won't give it. Cause you look too like clean. Then people aren't going to give you money either. Right. You have to really change your lifestyle. Quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. You have to dress up, <laughs> give money to those people. Cause they're probably not doing that. They're probably in need. No, no, exactly. Yeah. Even if they're not put it towards food or whatever, they can decide the best way to spend that. That's so that they survive and don't kill themselves or get whatever bad outcomes. So no, I completely agree. Exactly. So anyway, that's All our right. takeaway. Give money to the homeless. If you see them, you have a little change, give it to them done they'll make their day and it's also more expensive to be poor so they will have to pay a lot more oh damn it we didn't even get to talk about getting rid of the income tax and raising all general sales tax to 30 percent we'll talk about universal basic income in another episode and we'll bring that in probably yeah because it's basically the inverse of that all right thanks for tuning in we'll see you next time hopefully bye didn't seem like the time to do it